Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. Well, let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. I'm in a series <clears throat> entitled Build, and it's based off of Jesus' words that says, I will build my church, and we want to know what is it he is building and who is it that is building his church? Because ultimately the church will always look like the one who is building it. And the God who promises to build his church is the one that the church should strive to know, worship, proclaim, and follow in our teaching, in our ministries, and in our mission. And so that's what we want to give ourselves to today. Last week I introduced this this part of the series because I kind of broke out and I'm doing a little bit of a sub-series on the doctrine of the Trinity of God, the three-in-one nature of our one God. And last week, we just looked at a biblical foundation for the Trinity, and I concluded the message by asking, why does this matter? Well, I want to pick up with that question today and look at why does studying the doctrine of the Trinity matter for our lives? I think the Word has a powerful uh, lesson for us today because a deeper understanding of God's nature shapes our worship and our service in life. So here's what I want you to walk away with today. That Christian worship forms a right response of one's whole life to God's triune nature in salvation. Our worship forms a right response of our whole life to the very nature of God that we see in salvation. Trinity is actually a doctrine that reveals uh, what I would call the fullness of God. And, and we see it progressively through the scriptures because that's the will of God. And, and we see that uh, throughout the scriptures because God wants to show us fully who he is so that we can respond fully and be fully formed by him. What I'm saying to you in that is that God doesn't just give you a little piece of him and say, be happy with that, leave me alone. But rather, God is revealing the fullness of who he is in his nature so that we can ever increasingly enter more deeply into our understanding of him, our worship of him, and our communion with him. And that's why this is so important. God's work in salvation is the revelation of his triune nature. Now, Paul gives us some hindsight uh, into this through a hymn of praise in Ephesians chapter 1. And, 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 and I think you'll agree with this because often the phrase is said, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? Well, I'm not sure about the twenty twenty part because I know there's even better eyesight than twenty twenty. That's just like the standard, but I know there's better. And I know God's sight is perfect. But for us, the hindsight is kind of the thread that I want to use today. As we look back on our salvation and what God has done, we gain greater understanding and a deeper communion with him. And that's what Paul is showing us through this hymn of praise in Ephesians chapter 1. Beginning in verse 3, what does he say? But we have been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Again, 
He's telling us how much God has shown of himself to us for us to know. And he says that every spiritual blessing has been bestowed upon us. That's powerful, friends. And what we see Paul doing here, verses 3 through verse 14, is one sentence. Paul would have never made it in basic grammar because it is one phrase and run on after the other. But what happens is Paul gets, if you will, caught up in calling the Christians of Ephesus to worship God. And he begins to relay what God has done for us in salvation. And so I want to call us to a greater worship of God in our own lives by studying this passage today, by seeing God's triune nature revealed to us in our salvation, and then asking how is it that that shapes our worship and how we respond to God? Hindsight, friends, is important. God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And in the next verses, he teaches us how the three-person-in-one-God nature is actively working for our salvation. Let's go to verse 4 of Ephesians 1. He continues, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. Now, pause there for a moment. The first person of the Trinity that Paul introduces us to is God the Father. God the Father. And he tells us two things that God has done in order to enact our salvation. First of all, he chose us in him to be holy and blameless before the foundation of the world. Now that phrase, foundation of the world there, literally just means before creation began. In other words, before this confine of time started, God had already acted for our salvation. So certainly it was also before we existed, if it was before time began, right? And he tells us this, we were chosen by God the Father for holiness, for holiness, to be blameless before him. I want you to understand what we're talking about when we talk about, the, when we read these words this morning, we're talking about who we are in Christ because of our salvation. And God the Father chose us before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him. Friends, on that day, when each one of us stands before the judgment seat of Christ, there won't be so much as a hiccup or a cough offered to accuse the one who stands in Christ because it's been taken care of. That's what Paul begins by telling us here. Holy and blameless is the will of God for your life. Sometimes we get distracted by running after happiness, right? But what God promises is holiness. Salvation means that we are no longer guilty of our sin, but we are forgiven and made blameless before the Father. 
And he tells us this, he goes on, not only did he choose us to be holy and blameless before the foundation of the world, but in love, it says, he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus. Now, let me speak to that word, first of all, sons here. That is not a reference to gender. It's not a reveal party here that we're having, right? Blue, pink, or whatever the case may be, right? What he's talking about here is a reference to the one who is to receive the principal inheritance. So the firstborn son of the family was the one in this culture that received the principal amount of the inheritance because his responsibility was to take care of the whole family. And as the inheritor of that, the father's basically the whole wealth of the father was given to him and his responsibility then was for the care and the oversight of the whole family. What he's saying to us here is that because you've been made a child of God, God holds nothing back from you. That's what he's trying to tell us, that you are in line in Christ Jesus to receive the full inheritance of God, not just enough to get you in the door, right? Like backstage pass doesn't compare to this. You get it all is what he is teaching us here. We are the recipients of the full inheritance. And it tells us that we were predestined to be adopted for this purpose. In other words, God wasn't satisfied to give you a little bit of care, but keep you far enough out of his reach so you didn't bother him. God loved you such that he brings you into his house as his own child. And when he sets his love on you, he takes you for where you were not his and he brings you and he treats you and he honors you as his own. As a matter of fact, as the one who receives the full inheritance That's how much God loved you. And it tells us that along with his choosing, he predetermined that we would receive the fullness as the blessing of his children. And he determined long before it ever happened that this is how it would happen. You see, God's will to bring forth his glory is the full measure of his love on those who are in Christ Jesus. Friends, this is the work of God the Father actively working for our salvation. And we weren't an afterthought for him, for we were in and on his heart from all eternity past. You know, I can't help but imagine that Paul is drawing from Psalm 139 here. Where the psalmist records, before you were, I knew you. God is speaking. Before I formed you in the womb, I held you in my heart. That's what Paul is striking at here. And he is telling us that it is the perfect love of the Father who has held us. In this way, he knew you and he set his love on you before you were you because he loved you. 
This is God teaching us about his triune nature through our salvation with hindsight. As we look back on what he has done, the Father chose you to be holy and blameless before him and predestined you to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ. Now, let me deal with the elephant that walked in the room. Maybe two of the most divisive words that have ever been spoke in Christendom are contained in these verses right here. Chosen, elected, predestined. Such that over the last 600 plus years, it's created maybe what could be argued as the greatest schism in Christianity. That God would do such. And how does that factor with the other things that we hear in Scripture about our relationship with God? Listen, friends, when someone says to me, I don't believe in election and I don't believe in predestination, I shudder. Because Paul doesn't present this to us as an opportunity or an option he declares it as a truth from all eternity past and if you start picking and choosing cutting and pasting what you want to believe and what you don't want to believe from the scriptures you are the final determinant of that and you can pick and choose let me tell you when you'll do it most often every time the scripture gets hard you'll go oh I believe I'm going to put that in file 13 and keep it safely for some other person. What I want you to understand today is that Paul says, in Christ, we are chosen as Christians. And in Christ, because he loved us, we're predestined. There was a predetermination that took place before we existed that was about us and for us. You see, what you're saying, if you say you don't believe in election and choosing and predestination, is that you want to remove God the Father's activity from your salvation. And friend, it is the will of the Father through His work that sent the work of the Son upon the earth and brings the Spirit. That's what I want you to be convinced of today. You say, well, then how do we reckon all of this, Pastor? Well, you may not understand it. And let me say this to you. That's okay. I don't fully understand it. You may not fully grasp it. And I want you to know that's okay. Neither do I. Neither do I. As a matter of fact, no one has written the final book on it. There's been a lot of books written on it and about it and otherwise. But if they had, we wouldn't be having the issue. But the issue remains. Let me tell you why. Because we don't own the box that God lives in. And that is never more relevant to us than we see here in these verses, God the Father working on our behalf for our salvation. The mystery of God is great, and there is a great amount that we know of him that we're about to get to. But this part is still beyond us. 
I do not anticipate that in my life, yea, even in the life of the existence of humanity, will the words be scripted by an individual that will satisfy and explain this to the extent that the last period can be put at the end of the argument. Why? Because God and his ways are not my ways nor our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. But for you today, Christian, I am laboring for you by faith to understand this, that long before you were, God set his love on you, and he chose you to be the full recipient of every spiritual blessing that he's ever had and does have to give it to you. Philip Ryken, a well-known pastor and author and theologian, offers some encouragement here that I believe is most helpful. And I hope you hear the Spirit in his description coming through in my preaching for what I'm laboring for today. Election, he says, is best understood in hindsight. For it's only after coming to Christ that we can look and know that we've been chosen in Christ. Those who make a decision for Christ find that the triune God made a decision for them in eternity past. Why is that important? Because what God promises to us is eternal life without beginning and without end. And he gives that to us. And what Ephesians 1 verses 3, 4, 5, and 6 teaches us is that our eternal life was, re- was rooted in all eternity past and it will be sufficient for all eternity present and future. Because all of those little words I just put on the confines of time will one day be removed and it'll just be eternity and your life in Christ will still be as valid as the day you said yes to him. God the Father chose and predestined every Christian to be holy and blameless before him and adopted as sons by his love so that they could receive the full measure of his inheritance in Christ. The second part of verse 6 continues and introduces us to the second person of the Trinity. To the praise of his glorious grace, he says, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. That's Jesus. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Friends, that knot your mind just got tied into is a knot of glory because it just wound you tightly to the will of the Father by the work of Jesus Christ, his Son. And he introduces to us God the Son 
who brings forth our redemption and our forgiveness to the eternal inheritance that he has promised. You see, friends, when the Bible talks about the mystery of God, it's not the part of God that we could just never know and will never know. Actually, it is the part of God that has now been made known to us through the work, the person, the teaching of Jesus Christ. So the mystery of God is always a reference to the teaching and the finished work of Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean that we fully grasp and comprehend everything about that, for we're still learning about that in this life. But we are the beneficiaries of all of that work completely now. And he tells us this, he loved us so much when we were on his mind and his heart. In love that he did not demand from us, but he sent Jesus to provide for us. Even those who lived before Jesus came in flesh and walked on the earth are saved in the same way that you and I are. By faith in the fulfillment of God's promise of a Messiah, a Savior, a Redeemer. They looked forward, we looked backwards. Hindsight. It's 2020 a lot of times, isn't it? I'm actually laboring for it to be far more than 2020 in your heart and life today to permeate to the very center of who you are. For God the Son makes the mystery of the Father's will for salvation known to us. We are redeemed and we are forgiven that we might be reconciled And receive with him our eternal inheritance. Verse 13 and 14, we see the third person of the Trinity. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth. Now he's talking about in him, in Jesus there. The gospel of your salvation. That's what we heard. We heard the gospel preached. And then we believed in him. We believed in Jesus. We were then sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And listen to what the Holy Spirit does. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Friends, the full revelation of salvation comes by the finished final work of Jesus and the seal of Holy Spirit placed upon us. For the Spirit actively works for our salvation as the seal of God's triune ownership of our life. A seal in that day and time was often just a wax dot in which the ruler or whoever it was that wanted to set their ownership over a lesson, uh, excuse me, a letter or a, uh, an official document of any sort where we might sign our name now and it'd be a signature, they set a seal. And then they would press their ring that signified their royalty or they would press their finger into it in such a way so that that seal said, this is mine, I own it and I authorize this message. That didn't start with politicians. It should have ended before them, but that's a whole different deal, isn't it? And God says, that's what the Holy Spirit is to you and for you. I am setting my seal on your life to tell you this, that I authorize and I own you because I purchased you with the blood of Jesus Christ. And so our salvation is revealed to us. God the Holy Spirit 
seals the work of the Son and the will of the Father upon every life, every Christian, to guarantee to us God's promise and God's work for us until the appointed time when we receive the fullness of it. Friends, I want you to know the Trinity is critical for you because in it we come to understand the revelation of God's full work for our salvation. And it is a revelation that we are to continue to grow in. And what Paul does is he charts this path, if you will, of salvation and how it has come to us from the very heart of God through the three persons who are God. And the Trinity declares to the Christian that no matter what life holds, you can hold to God because he is the one who is holding you. That's where the certainty of our salvation rests. Not in our grip, but in his. And Jesus says this, I've not lost one that you have given to me, Father. Friends, I want you to know the surety and the certainty of your salvation is not dependent upon you, but it is all around you as Jesus holds you in the relationship with God. Our confidence is in this, that he, God, who began a good work in you, Paul says in Philippians 1.6, will be Faithful to carry it to completion all the way to Jesus Christ. Faithful you are. Faithful forever you will be. What God has begun in you, he will not quit. He is relentless. He is faithful. He will bring about every spiritual blessing that he has determined to give to you. That's how loved you are in Christ. And the gospel of our triune God declares that every Christian is chosen and elected by the Father, redeemed and forgiven by the Son, sealed and guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. Now how does this shape our worship? How does this inform what we do? You know, too often in Christianity today, worship has become little more than a commodity for branding and marketing. And I have no intent to wade into that argument today or talk about that as our worship. What I'm talking about when I talk about how the Trinity shapes our, work, our worship is not style nor manner, but essence. The essence of what worship is all about in our life. The essence of Christian worship, friends, is our responding and relating to God as he has revealed himself to us. And my argument today is this, that the trail of revelation that the triune God has given in our salvation creates a path, here we go on the hindsight, by which we might walk right back into the very heart of our our eternal God. And what I want to provide for you today are simply three images that teach us how Christian worship is shaped by our 
by God's triune nature. That it might fuel and inform and conform our worship to the very nature of the one in whom our salvation rests. The first image, and let me say this about the images. These are not images for our worship. That would be idolatry. That would be wrong. Last week, I avoided being a heretic. This week, I want to avoid leading you into idolatry. Let's chart a course in the middle here, okay? These inform and they guide our worship to remind us of where it is actually Rooted. The first image I provide for you today is conveniently located here in the middle of the table. It is the Word. It is the Word. The uh, true Christian worship always originates in the revelation of God. But as it originates in the revelation that God is one, the fullness of that worship continues by the greatness of the every spiritual blessing we've been given. That's what thanksgiving is all about, right? Responding to God, recognizing what he has done, and responding with thanksgiving and praise. And that's why the psalmist teaches us that thanksgiving is like the outer court, but praise is the inner recess of where God and his very presence abides. And that's what he's doing. He's drawing us in for the triune God that is revealed in the scriptures, provides for us a catalyst for all true worship. That's why worship forms the central focus. Excuse me. That's why God's word forms the central focus of our worship. It is the revelation of God. It is by his word at the very beginning in Genesis he creates. It is by his word given to prophets of old that he leads his people throughout the Old Testament. It is by his word taking on flesh and dwelling among us that God becomes one of us like us so we can see the fullness of who he is in this life and it is by his word that the Holy Spirit illumines it to show us the way yea even every step scripture teaches us about God's triunity that we may know and relate to him fully in our everyday lives that makes the trinity the most practical understanding of our of God for our daily relationship and so the revelation of God as triune centers our worship in his revelation that comes through his word now why would God do that why would God center that revelation in the word and our worship in that because of what the Bible tells us about the word tells us two very important things at this point. The first one is this, that it's not just ink on paper, but it is living, it is alive. The word of God is alive. Hebrews chapter 4 verses 12 and 13 tells us this, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. You know why God centers his revelation in his word for us today? Because it's alive. And when his word is in us, his spirit is illuminating the will and the way and the work of him in us 
to bring us into a more full, deeper understanding of what he is doing. It reaches into every person like nothing else can. I mean, it says it doesn't just separate flesh from bone, right? But from soul and of spirit, from joint and marrow. And then it says this, discerning thoughts and discerning the intentions of the heart. Do you know what the word of God does when it gets in you? It cuts the chaos, it cuts the confusion, and it cuts through the clutter of your life to get to the real heart of the matter where God wants to speak to you. I don't know about you, but I know in my life I need some help. I need help in doing this because I can heap on through busyness many things that can cause chaos of the mind, that can cause confusion of the heart about where I stand or what I believe or what's taking place. And it is only through the word of God, not the goodness of Lane nor the precision of my own intellect that leads me in this. My feelings can lead me astray. My emotions can get the best of me. And, and my heart can become, as the hymn says, prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. It's just some days you get up and you go, I don't know that I want to today, God. But praise be to God by his word. He not only changes our understanding, he changes our want. Your wanter need a little update? God's got it for you in his word. You see, the reason we read the word is to get it in us so God's word can read us. And it can say to you, not only is that action that you're performing out of alignment with my will, but that attitude behind that action is as well. And with all the love and the grace of our eternal father, by the precision of his Holy Spirit, through the finished work of his son, says to you, you know that you are not walking in accordance to my will. You are walking in accordance to your will when you do that. And it's at that moment that conviction just washes right down us. And the revelation of God comes to us and we've brought to a point, will you believe and trust or will you rebel and continue? That's what the word does, friends. Because it is alive. Not only is it alive, but it is working. 2 Timothy 3, 15 to 17 tells us all scripture is breathed out by God. And all scripture is, hear me, profitable. That's a word we need to hear in our day and time. All scripture is profitable. Why? That the man of God may be complete. Remember I told you a while ago, God doesn't stop anything he starts. He carries it through to completion. And the way he does that is by the revelation of his word in you. It's profitable for us that we may be completed in Christ. The work of God in and on the life of the person through the word holds great effect. I'm telling you, friends, the persuasion of the ages may not change your heart and mind, but the seed of God's word can turn you in on the dime. Why? Because it is working. It is not stagnant. It is not dormant. It is not dead. It is working and it is working to accomplish the very will and purpose for which God sends it forth. And every time the word gets in you, you can know this. God's going to bring from it, through it, and to it everything that he intends in it. If you will trust and believe. 
The word transforms us into his image and it conforms us to his will by the work of every person of the Trinity. The Father's will is set forth, the Son's work is complete, and the Holy Spirit's work is active and progressing. All three persons work in perfect unity at all times in your life through the Word to bring you by faith into the fullness of communion with Him. Let me ask you something. What fuels your worship of God? What fuels your worship? Do you worship hardest and best when you know you need it? So you say, well, my need for God fuels my worship. Friends, I want to tell you, you're not banking on every spiritual blessing. You're just banking on the one that you're aware of in that day or in that moment, in that time. You're letting the situations of life drive you to worship God. And God's worthy when your situations don't drive you there too. Your circumstances shouldn't be the primary catalyst that cause you to worship God. I'm not saying we don't worship him maybe more acutely or in tune at those times when we're more desperate to hear from him. But I'm telling you, he's as worthy when he's not even on our mind as he is when he's the only thing on our mind. And the essence of Christian worship begins with the revelation that we have from God to know that he is worthy at all times. And we are consuming his word to put the seed of life in us that at the proper time when the will of God intends it to, it will come to fruition in our life and bring forth every spiritual blessing that he has for us. Let the word of God fuel your worship. For worship centered in the word entreats the fullness of God's triune nature to work in us and on our lives to transform us and to conform us to his will for his glory. Well, as the worship is centered in God's word, the Holy Spirit leads us in one direction every time, and that's to the gospel. And the image that we have of that today is of the bread and of the cup. The bread and the cup. And I I give you this image today to remind you. You see, God's revelation culminates in one point, and that's at the cross. There is no knowledge of God apart from the cross of Jesus Christ. And because of that, what Jesus accomplished on the cross, he said for us to remember every time we partake of the bread and of the cup. As oft as you do this, it says, do this in remembrance of me. You see, the bread and the cup declare our communion with God through the cross. It tells us that because of what Jesus has done for us, we enjoy communion with God. And so the Holy Spirit working by the revelation of God's word within us leads us to the cross where God has worked for us in our behalf, where we can believe and where we can enter the inner sanctum of God's presence. It's not a work, it is the work of the Holy Spirit that points us to the finished work of Christ on the cross for us to believe and repent and for us to abide. Abide with God. That's why Jesus says, abide with me, for apart from me, you can do nothing. He's bringing us to the bread and to the cup. And he's going, I want you to commune with God, but you must believe. You must believe. Holy Spirit illumines the word to lead us to the bread and to the cup and remind us of God's will and remind us of God's work for us. Otherwise, we'll come to the bread and the cup and go, oh, I had some of this yesterday. 
I like it, it's good. And we think we got there on our own doing. But it is not of us, it is of him. You see, remembering God's work for us in Jesus is the center of knowing him. And the reason we observe the bread and the cup is to remember that when Jesus died, I died with him. And when he rose, I was made blameless before God. And every time you take the bread and every time you take the cup, you are reminded of your inaptitude and ineptitude, but Jesus' full sufficiency for all of you. And if you believe, God brings you in to that sweet communion for every spiritual blessing to be poured out on you. When the Spirit reminds of the work Jesus has completed for us, we can trust, we can rest, we can obey. That is the confirmation of God's work, friends. Not of the Spirit being felt by you, but the gospel by the Spirit working through you and in you for repentance, faith. And obedience. You see, the bread and the cup are where Jesus' work on the cross for us becomes his redeeming work in us to produce the Father's will through us because the Holy Spirit's seal is set on us. If we believe. The third image is that we learn that worship doesn't end in communion. It culminates in service. And so I introduce the basin and the towel to you. You know, in John 13, we see all of this in the upper room, just days before Jesus will be crucified. And like I said, we're looking at it in hindsight. Jesus is teaching it in real time. And when they finished the bread and the cup, the Lord's Supper on that night, if you will, it says Jesus got up, he wrapped a towel around his waist, and he took another towel, and he bent down and he began to wash the disciples' feet. Friends, there wasn't a person in the room that didn't know Jesus was God. And there was only one person in the room that didn't believe it. That was Judas. But he would leave in just a few moments. Jesus washes their feet. He even washed Judas's feet. That's a powerful picture, isn't it? You can walk away from Jesus, but here's what you should understand. He loves you enough to serve you if you believe in him. And he steps up from that. And I mean, a pin dropping in that room would have sounded like a bomb going off. It was so deathly quiet because of the God of all creation was washing the creature's feet. And Jesus said to them, as I have done to you, you should go and do likewise. Mark 10, 45 tells us, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Friends, Christian liberty is what comes when we are served by Jesus. And it always includes a basin and a towel that we might take it up. And out of the liberty that we have received because we've been set free from sin that so easily entangles, we can go serve others and tell them about the love of God. Why? Because we don't have to fear whether the source from which it comes to us will ever run out. God's source is unending and unlimited. Communion. Communion with the triune God 
always produces a life that is conforming to his will. You know why that is? Because your life inevitably always conforms to the very thing that is filling your heart. And when Jesus is filling your heart, your life will conform to the Father's will for you. And the Father's will is this. Not that our worship would end just in sweet communion with Jesus, but that it would culminate that when our time in the inner sanctum of God's presence comes to a close for that moment or that instance, we too would rise and we would take a towel and a basin and we would go serve other people so that they too could know how much God loves them and come into his presence. When we understand what Jesus has done for us, serving him shapes our worship of him. And it reveals to the world the good news of forgiveness from sin for eternal life that comes only from our triune God. I'll have the worship team return. I'm going to speak to two groups of people as they return. Number one, Christians. If you're here today and you know that you have a personal relationship with God because you've repented of your sin and you put your faith in Jesus, I want to challenge you today not to walk away from this without further thought, reflection, and study. You can start in Ephesians 1, and it'll take you wherever the Lord wants you to go. You can begin with a word study, if that's what's sitting heavy on your heart and most boggling still to your mind. There are ample resources, but do not walk away from this time and just be satisfied with where you are in your understanding of God. But by faith, press in and ask God to give a greater revelation of his word and his self to you that you might walk more acutely and in tune with his will for you. That's the everyday prayer of a Christian's life. But if you're here today and you're not a Christian, Here's what I want to tell you. You might be asking, well, I came to church today wondering if God loved me, but I'm not a Christian. And what you said today, Pastor, was that God set his love on people who are Christians and that, that that's already been done because it was done in all eternity past. So does that mean there's no hope for me? Not at all. Not at all. You say, well, how then can I know? Here's how. If today you'll respond to the Spirit of God that is working in this service through the revelation of God's Word to speak to your life. And in the big picture of all of your life that what you've ever done, are doing, and will ever do, you'll let the Spirit bring you back to the cross and you will see the sacrifice that Jesus made for you on that cross before you were you, before you knew who He was, but you will by faith enter into that death and receive the finished work of Jesus on that cross. Repent of your sins. Put your faith in Jesus. The word of God promises this. You will be saved. You will be saved. Do you know that God has never said no to anyone that said, but God, I want to be saved? Not one. And he never will. Why? Because faithful you are. Faithful 
you have always been and forevermore shall be. Will you repent of your sin today and trust Jesus to become a Christian and receive the eternal life that our triune God is working right now to give to you? We plead with you. Let's pray.